In today's world, we are increasingly dependent on technology. Our business and personal lives rely on it, but as you've probably noticed, it's unreliable. They promise it'll get better, but it usually gets worse. Our computers are slow, so we end up squinting at smartphones and tablets. We live in constant fear that something's going to happen to our personal data, so we're scared into paying for fake protection that proves useless when disaster strikes. Update attacks, fake Wi-Fi, cloud control, and other industry scandals are designed to keep the money flowing. The jokers we pay to fix our stuff have no clue what they're doing, so they do a virus scan and then wipe out our precious photos. Intelligent, successful people feel intimidated by the chaos and think it's somehow their fault. If they only knew what the industry was doing to them, they'd get torches and pitchforks. If only we had someone to explain it all in plain English so we can start protecting ourselves. Oh wait, we do! It's the Computer Exorcist Podcast with your host, Mark Anthony Arena. From the Wallace Memorial microphone in my home office, overlooking the hills of western New York, it's the Computer Exorcist Podcast. I am Mark Anthony Arena. I am your host. So glad that you are here today. Thanks for telling your friends about the show. Another special guest time. Um, this is Bob McIntosh. He was on my show like 10 years ago on the old show. And I just wanted to bring him back. He's a buddy of mine. Uh, we used to do a lot of shenanigans in college together. And then we both grew up and became serious people. And I still can't believe it. <laughs> I, I, I was about to say, like, I don't know about, you know, we both grew up and became serious people. I still do a lot of shenanigans, I feel like. Maybe not as many, but <laughs> they're just they're just more expensive shenanigans now. Expensive shenanigans. Well, we keep it up because that's what keeps you young. Matter of fact, last night I was at a car show and this guy there has three Thunderbirds and from the fifties. He turned one hundred and one last night. Wow. He mows his own lawn, drives his own cars. That's what keeps you going. Dang, that's I mean that's impressive, right? I mean, shoot, most people like by the time they're like seventy five or eighty are like half functionable at best but this dude's over here mowing his own lawn that's that's incredible yeah yeah unbelievable i got an uncle who's gonna be 99 next month he drives his own minivan has his own house good for them yeah i'll I'll, uh, I'll aspire to that i got got a little bit of time to go but uh that'd be awesome so yeah let's keep up the shenanigans and uh next time you're in town we'll we'll do some prank or we'll buy a car together for 100 bucks and see how far it goes or something (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, so tell us about you. You're an author, you're an inspirational speaker. And w- tell us. Yeah. So, I mean, I do a lot of things, um, mostly focused in and around real estate and digital marketing, but uh, have um, been fortunate enough to to do a lot of things, right? So started our business about, my dad and I started investing in real estate in Buffalo about 15 years ago. Uh, actually, a little more than that, I guess now, but um and just did, did well with that and kind of spawned it into a bunch of things. And mostly right now, I run a digital marketing agency helping business owners just get out online, be seen, do better, take advantage of of this crazy thing we call the internet because it's one of the most important places, especially post-COVID. 
to uh, to grow you know grow your business and do from there and uh, along that journey i've been fortunate enough to spend it's a little over four thousand hours on stage now teaching people about internet marketing helping folks in that capacity and space uh, it's honestly my happy place i'm that weird guy if you're listening going wait this guy likes to be on stage like what like yeah i do it's weird i do but too. uh it's it's fun man it's fun like it, it's cool to watch people like especially with what i do because a lot of folks that i talk to are uh, I'd, I'd say they're, you know, on average over 55. And so they wouldn't consider themselves super tech savvy. But then to watch their kind of eyes light up as they realize what's possible. They're like, oh, man, I, I just didn't even know that we could do that. And I was like, yeah, like this is only the beginning. Let's let's go. So it's it's been a lot of fun for that. And yeah, now I'm just traveling, traveling uh, mostly in the States. Uh, I was down in Costa Rica and Mexico earlier this year, which has been fun, but been on the road for almost 18 months permanently. Really, I would. I can't wait to get to that point where I can just teach classes from my laptop and be in Virginia or Boston. That's so cool. And side note, <clears throat> you mentioned those online classes for people who are fifty-five, or, or the the classes about the internet. Um, it's really important that you're doing things the right way because about fifteen years ago, I went to this event that they threw at a hotel and it was a free launch yada yada and they got up there and said did you know the internet is kind of like an atm you just walk up to it and it gives you money and we're going <laughs> to teach you how and then they wanted you know five or ten grand for you to set up a an online store to sell your friends the garbage that this company was trying to push it was extremely right. unoriginal. It was just here. You give us five or ten grand, we'll give you a piece of garbage website, and then you sell your friends a bunch of things they don't need. Sounds like most network marketing companies I, I come across. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Wow. So that's cool that you're doing it the right way. And I, I'd love to to talk to you. You know, if if you could help me advertise my new virtual town halls that I do online, something like that. You know, it's. Because I know nothing about advertising online, you know, it's it's just not my subspecialty. It's yeah. crazy how big the internet is, and how many different specialties there can actually be within it. Uh, it's you know, it, it's kind of mind blowing when you think about it. Yeah. Oh, so many. Because people think, oh, he's a computer guy, right? You could just do everything. And a lot of dudes try to do that, right? They try to be a web developer and a local computer cleaner and a whatever. But no, it's it's like dentistry and podiatry. It's totally separate. Um, yeah. Do you want to... I want to mention one of your books that... Uh, it was called Get Out of Your Own Way. And I read it a bunch of years back. And it just helped me massively. And, and in my next book... Um, that provisional title is uh, Defeating Stress in a Crazy World. I'm going to talk about how I applied the, the concepts in that, in that book. Just unbelievable concept. Uh, the idea that, specifically, the, the, most, the greatest idea that really stood out to me is you talked about how awesome is better than perfect, okay? So I equate it to people who want to crank it up to 11, right? People who are always doing above and beyond and knock it out of the park and blow it out of the water and crank it up to 11. We Italians are like that, and, and we type A's <laughs> are like that, right? We want to blow away everyone's expectations and be perfectionist, right? That's cool. That's great. But in reality, what happens when you aim for 11 is you get nowhere. I like to say that you go to bed hungry and, you know, if you're complaining and you don't like the bedtime snack that you have, then go to bed hungry and think about what you've done, right? right. And, you know, if you're dating and you're expecting absolute perfection at all times, you're going to go to bed hungry, right? 
you're not going to get what you're looking for. So, so what you taught me in that book was huge is look for awesome. Look for nine because 11 isn't possible, right? No one's a perfect 10. So instead of cranking it up to 11, just look for something that's more or less most of the time awesome. Yeah. And I, you'll find that as you do that, right, a lot of people look at it and they, their mindset is, well, I'm settling for lesser. Um, but perfection is is really actually it, it's it's unattainable in the sense of think about your, you know, uh, on a treadmill and there's a, a fishing rod behind you and, and in front of you is dangling perfection. And the faster you crank the speed up of the treadmill, you never actually get any closer to it. Right. Because it's just just dangling out of reach. And it's the same thing because there will always be the next thing, the next piece, the next or whatever. Or here it is. And uh, yeah, so. I love that. And actually, it's kind of funny that uh, you, you mentioned dating. Uh, I was just watching um, a video that a friend sent to me. It's like a clip from a podcast. And they, they asked these girls, you know, what what they want in a guy. And all of them said uh, they want a guy who's over six foot tall and makes over $100,000 a year. And then he stops them and he's after they go through all this. And they said, let's just that's your like idea of perfection, if you will, in a, in a date. And they pulled the numbers. They're like, here's the numbers on men who are over five foot ten, not even six foot, and making over eighty thousand a year, not even a hundred thousand. And it's in the United States, it's one point five percent of the population. <laughs> so it's like, hey, like, you know, and it kind of goes back to the same thing, right? Like we all have this mindset that we need this, but the reality is we don't often need that exact perfect thing. Um and and to your point, like in the book, I talk about, I have a whole chapter about excellence over perfection. And excellence is, is a great way to look at things. Things can be excellent, but not perfect. And that's okay. And, and if we look for that in every aspect of our life, not just relationships, but also in our work, in our business, in everything that we do, if we define excellence and what that means to us, that's a much more achievable thing. And this is not to say that we're settling for something less, less but understand that perfection is a moving target you'll never achieve. And, and, you know, settling, that's a huge thing, right? Because especially as a type A, I refuse to settle. I will never settle. I'll never give up. I'll never settle. Well, guess what? It's in reaction to what I see around me. Because around here, people all settle all over the place, right? They get with some slob, and then they have a couple random kids, and they don't even care about them, and blah, 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 right? That's settling. So... You have to tell yourself that just because you're not going for 11 doesn't mean you have to go for a two or a three. Does that make sense, folks? Correct. Absolutely. So it doesn't mean that, okay, if I don't find someone who's a supermodel and a genius, therefore I'm settling. Um, no. If, if, you're, if you f settle for someone who's actually not at all what you're looking for and, and, and doesn't care about anything, yeah, that's settling. But look. There's a difference between a nine and a two, right? Just just to put it simply. You don't have to settle for someone who's really, really awful. You just have to find someone who is excellent or awesome. Absolutely. And, and in the future, I'd love to have you on to talk about this when I get my book out. And, and I, oh, I, I love the concept. And, and it's the same thing with my industry, right? What do you see all the time? The pursuit of perfection. And we want more and we want more and we want more. And, and the last couple episodes I did, I talked about Amazon, how they're still, they still consider themselves a startup. And that's really cool, you know, to be innovative and dynamic as opposed to cumbersome big organization. But eventually, if you are that 
unsettled, right? If you have no self-control, as I put it, right? These programmers, that's the real fundamental problem with this industry is these programmers are insecure people with no self-control. So they keep adding more and more and more and more and more dumb features that nobody wants. And the result is garbage, unreliable technology. I generally would agree. Yep. That's because uh, it's about it's about having that that list that says, here's all the things, right? I've done all the things here. They all are. And it's like, OK, well, all the things don't matter if things don't work. Yeah, I like that. Right. It's like you're so in a hurry to assemble a building that you just slap it together. Right. But you don't have any foundation. So it falls apart after a week. Yeah, that's. So those folks need to remember that having a solid product that's awesome, even if it only has it like like my brother printer over here, right? It just does copies, printing, and scanning. It does nothing else. It doesn't have cloud web print, which never works anyway, right? It does what it's <laughs> supposed to most of the time, and it's invincible and blah, blah, blah. And, and once they realize, hopefully, I pray someday they realize that that's all people want is something that works, I think uh, I, we're starting to see that. I think it, it's starting to, to to sink in that usability trumps functionality. Oh, that's that's you're, we're going to put that as the title of the episode. Functionality. Got it. Um, do you let's see. Yeah. Do you um, want to talk a little bit about, you know, do you want to promote your website or whatever before we get into articles? Uh, what are you working on? What do you want to promote? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, look, the biggest thing that I can help you with, if you're listening to this episode, first and foremost, thank you for your time, right? Like, obviously, you chose to choose this podcast, and I appreciate you uh, dropping in. Your time is your most valuable asset to give, so I don't take that lightly. Likewise, um, thank but you. But yeah, if yeah. I can... Yeah, if I can help you, if you got a business and you want to know how to get yourself online, just go check it out. Go to go3dc.com. Um, you can kind of see all of our stuff. And that's G-O, the number three, and then DC for like Delta Charlie. Our company's called Three Degrees Insulting. And uh, we'll be happy to just have a have a chat and say, here's what we can do for you. I think that's the, the best best place I can start. We're, we're not really a uh, stamp it out, you know, roll it out in a, a factory type style uh, business. We kind of look at our solutions more as customized. So you come to us, you say, here's what I need. And then we kind of say, okay, here's how we can help you get there. Brilliant. I'm, I'm looking through it right now. So it's go the number three dc.com. Um, this is really yep. cool. I got to figure out what, uh, do you use WordPress to make this? This is cool. Yep, WordPress. Yeah, we we have our own uh, de developers on staff that build all our sites. I used to used to do them myself, but we've uh, we've grown now, so I can outsource that. Thankfully, well, not outsource it, but you know, we just have yeah. people. I say when I say outsource, not necessarily outsource outside, but outsource from from me doing it. Sure, and and that's another huge thing is that you know your time is so valuable and. One of the concepts that you taught me, as well as the book that you recommended I read, uh, The E-Myth, um, is, you know, your time is valuable. Just focus on what you're good at and don't spend time learning other professions. You know how many, how many years I spent, you know, like when I started my business doing in-home tech support, I thought I needed certifications. And I was taking this Ubuntu certification, which is all about how to be a high-end server manager analyst. And it's just... Yeah, just focus on what you're good at. Yeah. Um, so that's a cool website. Yeah, really good. Go3dc.com. Okay. You ready for an article? Let's do it. K 
Okay, December 2018, Roundel Magazine, this article is by Rob Siegel, The Fungibility of Cars and Parts. Fungible means interchangeable with something of the same kind. And by the way, that whole NFT, non-fungible token, now we know what that word means, okay? So right. fungible means... Right. I, I had to look it up when it first came out. I was like, wait, what the heck is fungible? Like, I know I've know, like I've heard the word, but I was like, okay, let me like, Google that. Oh, okay, that makes sense now. <laughs> and that's cool how how something like that comes out, and they're using some ancient word that used to be obscure, and now they're, you know, so fungible was some obscure word back, back in 2018. And uh, so it means interchangeable with something of the same kind, right? So money is fungible. If someone owes you 100 bucks, it doesn't matter if they pay you back with the same set of Jacksons. Does that make sense? It doesn't matter what dollar bill they use to pay you back. You just want that same amount of dollar bills. Gold, pork bellies, oil, or gasoline are examples of fungible goods, right? So I guess, and that's why they would say non-fungible for those other things. Like non-fungible would be a piece of artwork, right? There's only one of it. You and I are non-fungible <laughs> for darn sure, especially Bob and Mark. <laughs> um, non-fungible, okay? To many people, cars are also fungible, interchangeable, indistinguishable. People simply turn them in at the end of the lease and get another one. But as car people, we, of course, are different. We form intense attachments to brands, models, and specific VINs. Uh, I recently bought back Bertha, the 1975 BMW 2002. It was in terrible shape, but there's only one car that my wife Marianne and I drove off from our wedding in, and it's that one. There's no fungibility, right? It's that particular car. Fungibility extends to a component level. If you have an ultra-low mileage 65 Corvette with a couple miles, 80 miles on it, much of its value is in the originality of every component, even the normal wear and tear parts, hoses, clamps, brake pads, everything except perhaps the oil. And side note, a lot of times you have a collector car, even if you don't have exactly the part that came with the car, the original piece, you could swap it in for a period correct piece, so at least it's it's just that old right it came from the same factory around the same year in resurrecting bertha wherever possible i put a premium on keeping the car as i built it in the 80s i didn't want the correct shift knob i wanted the wooden one i'd installed in the car back then and i was thrilled when it rolled out from under the seat um, I also relate another remarkable story about the engine in my friend Erica's car. The engine came from a parts car that my friend Wink had obtained from an elderly gentleman. He told me the car had been his son's baby. His son was killed in the first Iraq war, and his wife learned how to drive a stick so she could drive this car. It made her feel connected to their son. She drove it back and forth to work every day until it collapsed onto its rear axles. She literally ran it into the ground. When she died, the elderly gentleman wanted to find a good home for what was way more than just a car. He said I could have it so it wouldn't just get crushed. I think about things like this, Bertha's steering wheel and Erica's engine, and how all that nuance, all that history is erased when your car is sold. Even if you tell the new buyer, it's just never going to have the same import. Uh, they may just be cars and parts, and some folks may regard them as fungible. But I feel moved that Bertha and I get to help a piece of a car, formerly owned by a soldier and, and BMW enthusiast I never met, uh, to drive around the world. And I can attest to this because my, uh, I have my grandfather's car, and I always tell people like it's a really really cool car. But I, I tell people like even if it was a, a K car, 
that you know that or, or a pinto right cars old cars that were notoriously bad no matter what it is it's still my grandpa's car i don't care what it is little piece of my history you might actually not know um my dad owned his first business was an antique auto parts shop sold parts for fords from the 1909s to the 1970s did not know that i just picked <laughs> this article because it was nice and sentimental <laughs> Um, yeah, so you know, a lot of uh, a lot of my, I'll say, childhood growing up and all that was around people with that same sentimentality in the sense of, hey, this is my car, I want to restore it, we're rebuilding it. Like, um, you know, we had uh, an old Model A that him and his dad had uh, rebuilt, uh, from, you know, from the ground up. With, you know, and of course, you, you talk about a car from 1920, right? You're going to have to replace some things. Or just <laughs> things aren't going to, uh, you know, it's not going to be 100 percent original. Um, just almost impossible for something to have survived, you know, a hundred years almost at that point. And uh, yeah, so I, I I saw firsthand sort of that sentimentality around cars. Now, for me personally, never I, it never mattered to me, right? Like I, I even today I could care less about cars. Like you know, uh, I know especially in the world of entrepreneurs that I roll in, um, you know, everyone seems to have this. Oh, I want a Lambo or I want this or they they have like or you know they want that old Chevy or there's actually a, a guy down the street from my parents' new place here. He's got uh, an old uh, old Chevy in his garage and an old Thunderbird actually in, in his garage as well uh, and i see him out there tinkering and working on it all the time and it, it's uh you know I, I look at it that way now it's funny you know i think when we look at a lot of those things everyone has the thing that they uh don't think is fungible that is non-fungible to them and in, in a way to use the article's terminology like for me uh this is weird but i still have like my old computers that i built i mean i don't use them anymore and the likelihood of me ever like actually using them is so low just because they're you know they're so old now I, like I, but I remember still from like rat for example like um i bought my first 120 gig hard drive which was like insane at that point in time oh that was huge back then we had eight gig drives right where most people were using them. right I, I know i was like i was like oh my gosh it's so big like i i, I can't even know what i don't even know what i'm gonna put it on on this thing that's so big um but you know and I, it's funny i still have that hard drive right it's still in the in the the uh the box and uh so i think a lot of us we all assign some of this ideals to things and it's it's interesting and kind of cool uh to know to know the history behind something even if you never intend to use it for the same history or doesn't carry the same weight with you it's still nice to to know know that it's almost like um when you sit with your grandparents and you and you hear you know the, their old stories it's kind of the same idea to me absolutely it's just something irreplaceable um yeah i've had to do that with my own stuff right i'm going through all my grandparents possessions now i have it right here in my home office and i have to deal with this and figure out so i told myself look i can't keep all of this forever because it'll it'll impede my own life right i i, I want to be like you and just fly around with a laptop and fly around the world but but i i ended up what i decided to do is sure i'm going to keep a couple things but i'm going to give it to relatives or anyone who will need or appreciate this stuff and so that's how i i learned how to deal with it right it's and that's another thing is like channeling that right because a lot of people out there are hoarders when really hey look we can channel that energy the only reason a lot of people are hoarders is because they see something they don't want it to go to waste okay fine so tell you what make it your mission to help it from not going to waste by giving it to someone who needs it that's all yeah. And I, I think there's a lot of ways to, to not waste something, um, you know, and, and, and go there. Now, but of course, too, like you got to 
understand that the sentimentality behind that thing will never carry. And I think he kind of encapsulates that well in this article, which is it's never going to carry forward. Right. You can you can know the story, but the story does not will never carry as much weight for the next person as it did for you. Um, And that's okay. You know, I I think uh, I look at things, you know, I, I mean, Maybe I go maybe on the extreme side, but I I have very, very little things, right? Like, you know, I still have a, a small storage unit with some of the, you know, important things that are important to me in it. Like I got a bunch of, you know, books that are signed by my favorite authors and things of that nature. But outside of that, like stuff is stuff. And um, I'd say just keep the things that are important to you for as long as it makes sense to you. And then uh, enjoy the story behind it, right? And, you know, uh, but don't let it become burdensome. The moment that it becomes burdensome to you, uh, that's when... I think the sentimentality and the uh, the non fungibility of said item becomes irrelevant, right? Because it, it, the goal is to to enjoy life, and and if you're constantly also something else I think about a lot is if you're constantly living in the past, you're not leaving room for the future to create new things for you to experience as well, right? We all we all only have so much capacity in our minds to store stories and absorb information into new things and create new sentimental connections, and if you're constantly letting those old things take up that space you're always uh you know there's an opportunity cost of losing something in the future that might be um even more valuable to you you just don't know that's really brilliant that that's it i mean sure it's a lot better to give it to someone who's going to appreciate it versus throwing it away um but yeah that's that's it so even if the story doesn't have as much weight with them okay that's fine it's still helping you to move on. You know, my my ancestors wouldn't want me to just live in, in some pile of their old stuff and not move on with my life. You kidding me? My grandma would yell at me if she if she knew I would do that, right? Um, right. So that's a really great point. And, and, you know, as I've been getting rid of all this stuff and, and bring, giving it to, to people, it's especially this year i mean as you know i've spent the past 10 years just being in this quicksand just buried by the extreme number of phone calls and blah 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 and now this year i'm finally starting finally for the first time in so long finally looking forward to the future looking forward to a day when every when things i do are creative right and when things i do are constructive instead of just staving off phone calls for the same repetitive jobs that i've done right Right. So I like how you say that. Look to the future. Look to creating something new. Because if you're if you're living in the past, you can't do that. Um, that's pretty cool. Do you want to do one more article? Yeah, sure. Let's do it. All right. Here's a quick one here. Uh, January 2021. This came from James Park, CEO of Fitbit. I'm writing to you today to let you know Fitbit is now officially a part of Google. It's an exciting moment for us as a company and Fitbit community around the globe. Um, since 2009, having sold more than 120 million devices, our mission has never wavered. We wanted we were a movement to transform lives. Together, we've taken 275 trillion steps and logged 15 billion hours of sleep. I can't, you know, that's creepy that they're adding up. I mean, I get it. That's not personal data, but they're still adding up how many steps that everyone took. In total, 275 trillion steps. Hey, I give them 5,000 steps a day. This is just the beginning because becoming part of the Google family means we can do even more to inspire and motivate you on your journey to better health. We can innovate faster. Actually, that's very scary because you know what happens when Google innovates. They do things against you. 
provide more choices, which actually means lock you into things, and make even better products um, on the bounds of what was possible with the wrist, uh, your step, your heart rate, your sleep, your stress, with access to Google's incredible resources. Um, give me a second here. Yeah, it's it's really. This was helpful. clearly written by a PR person. Yeah, kind of. And and you know, side note uh, before I finish the article, uh, um, I my buddy's wife gave me a Fitbit uh, around 2020, and it certainly inspired me to go for a walk every day. And I got my health back, and I got I lost my weight, and blah blah blah, and it was awesome. But I could have done that with a pedometer from Big Lots, right? One of those disconnected knockoff ones that wasn't controlled by the cloud. You don't need anything besides a pedometer that says, Mark, you walked this number of steps. There is, I see no need for it anyway. Anything else is just extra, and it's just a way for them to dangle all this. It's, it's something they dangle in front of you in order to, to suck all of your health information, and eventually, I predict, use it against you. Um... You know your your electronic medical records, right? So so here's here's something interesting. This this acquisition will create opportunities. Fitbit will stay committed to doing what's right, putting your health and wellness at the center, and offering a no one size fits all approach. I like that customizable approach, like you do. The trust of our users will continue to be paramount. Data privacy and security protections giving you control of your data. Google will continue to protect Fitbit's private users' privacy, made uh, binding commitments with global regulators, confirming that Fitbit users' health and wellness w data won't be used for Google. Well, uh, continue to allow Fitbit users to choose to connect to third-party devices and to connect your favorite health and wellness apps. And Google is an ideal partner for Fitbit. Look, Google's an ideal partner because they wrote him a big check. And I get it that this guy's probably jumping up and down because he got billions of dollars in a check. But if you remember an article I read a couple years back at some point in the show where Google gobbled up a pre-existing health data company and now they control since everything in this industry is is a monopoly they now control the monopoly on health data i forget the name of the company that they gobbled but google now knows all of your health data and it violated a bunch of all sorts of different agreements because hospitals didn't even know that it was google that knew all your stuff and and it's all a way for them to to squish all this data together um and not to mention, not to mention the fact that these Fitbit devices are all controlled by the factory and controlled by your account forever. So 12 minutes from now, when they deem that product unworthy of existence, they will kill it remotely and you won't be allowed to use it anymore. Final thoughts, Bob McIntosh. Uh, well, I, I would say a bunch of things. Um, I'll start with this. You were mentioning about having a pedometer and it being sufficient, right? And and I don't disagree. I think that's absolutely true if that's all that matters to you. But I think there's something that's more important than the technology. And that's what does it take to get you to be a healthy person? I think, and you know, say what you will about this. I think anything that motivates someone to be healthier for themselves, regardless of what or who or how data is controlled or used or not used or not available or available. I think that's, I think that's paramount to everything, right? I would rather see someone give up all of their health data and get themselves healthy than not. It's a huge uh, point. And, Cause I mean, I definitely got my health yeah. back because of it. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
you know, and I, now, now all things being equal, you know, I would I want that to be the case? No, absolutely not. Sure, like I think data privacy is definitely a, a, a an important topic. And if you want to ever, if you're ever listening to this and you want to dive into something and learn some crazy stuff about Google, like I feel like I know a lot. Probably you do too, Mark, just because we're in the space and we understand it. But there's a there was a phenomenal episode on the Joe Rogan podcast. Regardless of how you feel about Joe, you like or dislike, whatever. Um, go the, the episode is with uh, Doctor Robert Epstein, um, and he talks about just the depth of information and the things that Google has been able to do. And it's fascinating. Like even to the point of stuff that I was like, man, I didn't even know that they could do that. Um, like there's, there's a part where he talks about how they, uh, he can't prove it, but uh, the data indicates that they shut down the internet completely. Um, just as a test to see if they could. Um, Whoa. He would not. Doubt it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you know, do they have a lot of information? Sure. Um, you know, now again, uh, this is always the fine line. This, and actually, this is a this is a perfect story about this. So our our data and our privacy always comes at the expense of convenience, right? Mm -hmm. It's more convenient to have a Fitbit that tells me my steps and shows me my trends and shows me all the things that I and, and allows me to see into the past. Your big lots pedometer is not going to do that for you, right? It's not going to give you like unless you go out of your way to track everything every day, put it in a spreadsheet, create the graphs uh, and, and do all that. So what's more convenient? Is it more convenient to do that and have data control or is it more convenient to just have it spit it out for you, but know that the data is being accessed by somebody else? Right. It's uh, always and, you know, about I think dangling about, something and dangling the convenience in front of you. And most people want that because they're yeah, overworked. Like I think about... I, ju I just came back. Um, I was in uh, Mexico, Costa Rica, and Canada this year. And all three times I came back to the States through customs. And they have an app that you download on your phone now if you want. You don't have to, but it's called so the Mobile far. Passport Control. So far, uh, you, you don't have to. Right? A yeah, 100%. You don't have to, right? But if you do, you go to a separate line, and every single time, that line has been less than one-tenth the number of people in line. And so even though like when you download it, it says, hey, we could access all of this information. And I'm like, oh, God, I'm like, but do I want to stand here in line for an hour and a half to get through customs? Or do I want to go over there, give them the app and just do the thing and I'll be in and out. And all three times I've been in and customs in less than 20 minutes. Um, and you're like, oh, it's, it's that convenience. And it's like the, the worst thing is it's people like I'll say like me uh, who are like, I f fully aware of what this means. And yet I'm still choosing to do it anyways, because like, you know, I and, and, I, and I get At like least you're aware. This is always At least you hard made a, an informed yeah. decision. Correct. Uh, and I think that's that's where it comes to. And I look at it from this point of view, right? Like I can spend an hour and a half in line uh, and, and I'm essentially wasting that hour and a half because I can't do anything you know, I can be on my phone maybe or whatever, but I, I'm not going to be productive in that hour and a half. Whereas if I get through security, I get through customs and I get to my next gate, I can pop my laptop a little and I can, you know, tackle some work and I can build the thing that's important to me. And so that's how I justify it. Now, is that a good justification? Depends on who you are. Um, you know, but, at the, you know, and, and there's always the, 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 as you just said, the, the awareness factor, right? Like I'm aware of what that means. I also, it, unlike many have a better idea of if I don't want that to be the case anymore, how do I stop it? Now, obviously I can't prevent them from having what they've already got. Um, sure. But there, there's always that. And, you know, I think, I think when we look at, 
when we look at technology as a whole, um, that's how they will ultimately get us is what's convenient. And if I can attach lack of privacy to convenience, you will accept it. Most people will, maybe not everyone, you know, especially on your show here, but uh, most will accept it simply because they crave convenience more than privacy. And, um, you know, I don't know if there's a right answer there. Um, I, I think this is, I think 50 years from now, um, you know, our, our, you know, the next generation, the, the youngest generation right now are going to look back and go, man, one of two things, either a, I can't believe they fought this. This is so great. And here's why, because something, some sort of revolution of, of some capacity happened that made it so that this is actually amazing for us. Cause the ability for all this stuff is amazing, right? It, the scary part is who's in control of that ability, at least right now. Um, or they look back and go, man, those guys were idiots. I can't believe they didn't see that coming. Um, you know, so, uh, right. and I don't, I don't think we, we won't know that until we get there. Um, and uh. you know, there's so much, there's so much that could change, but I think, and one last thought on this and then I'll, I'll, I'll be quiet. And Mm-mm. when we look at what's happened from the rise of technology, when you and I were kids to today, um, and let's take, let's take, you know, Gen Z for, as an example, even the younger, the youngest portion of Gen Z right now, we went from absolute privacy, if you will. Right. I mean, like, I mean, there was about the, the, the least private thing might've been your phone number, which was in a phone book. Like the, other than that, like no one knew anything about your life unless you told them there was no way to know anything. Mm-hmm. And I think our, our generation to a certain extent overcorrected to that. Cause we went to the man, we can share everything about everything that we do with everybody. This is awesome. Like I can finally connect with people that I've in a way I've never been able to before. Mm-hmm. Right. And now I think we've swung back the other way. The pendulum has come back to everyone going, Whoa, maybe that's not the best thing. Right. Like let's swing back. And I, and I look at things, for example, uh, Foursquare, the app, is the perfect um, uh, indicator of this, right? I, I can remember not that long ago when you would check in every single place you went. Every place you went. Oh, you remember that? Buddy, he would go to, you know, I'd always say, oh, yeah, so-and-so is at beer tasting event again or whatever. And he was always yep. checking into places, right? And I'm sure it was fun, always. but I'm, yeah, I'm glad it fizzled out. Right. But, but it changed. And then all of a sudden it, the pendulum is one of the other ways. Like, do I really need to tell everyone where I am all the time? And then of course, like, you know, people took advantage of that. Oh, look, you checked into Mexico. So I know you're not home so I can go rob your house now. And you know, like we always, people will find a way to do these things. But I think the pendulum has swung back the other direction to more forms of privacy. And I think what we'll see is over the next 50 years, um, as that generation that, um, saw the results of, our complete openness and not that it was wrong of us to do that because i don't think that's right i think we simply made decisions based on where we came from it was a very different time where that weird generation that had very little technology to all of a sudden you know today having infinite technology uh and so you know it was it it, there was no other way it could have gone but i think it'll be interesting to see what that generation does with that and having a deeper understanding of technology, a deeper understanding of privacy and a, uh, a craving for that will be interesting to see kind of how that changes. And I think companies like Google are going to find it progressively harder um, to utilize their information in that way because those generations will. But what they'll do, because Apple's doing this and it, it, I hate it uh, personally, even though I have all the Apple stuff now uh, for better or for worse is, oh, you know, we're, we're all about privacy. No, 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 no. You're all about privacy uh, perceived privacy yeah, right that's a good way of you, you're just keeping privacy. all your information for yourself you're not sharing it out there like google does but 
but you're still collecting all of it nonetheless. So. You know, last episode I said Amazon, there's knockoff garbage all over the place on Amazon, right? If you go on Amazon, everything's a knockoff or, or many things are a knockoff, right? But Amazon attacks their own sellers and accuses them of being knockoff products only when it's in their best interest to do so. And you're absolutely right. It's the same thing with Apple. Where, oh, yeah, privacy. Oh, we want your privacy. Only when it's some politicized hot topic that they can toot their own horn. But normally, Apple hates its people, and they do brutal things to you. <laughs> That's yeah. right. No, no. It, it, every, they're, they're, it, the only difference between Google and Apple right now is that Apple puts a better spin on it uh, because mm-hmm. the uninitiated or unaware just don't don't know any better to ask the right question. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, when you look at it, the end result, right, it's the same. Apple's using all your data. Sure. I, I love I, the best. The, this is this is where it's like genius. I mean, as a marketing person, genius as a tech guy, what the F? But like the button on Apple on iPhones now that says ask app not to track you or whatever it says or, you know, whatever. OK, and so you it, feel it good creates the perception of privacy. Right. Right. Because it's like, oh, look, I'm telling the app they can't track me. I'm not saying my phone, iOS, Apple can't track me. I'm saying this third-party app on my device. So you're still allowing Apple to track you. You're still allowing the data to be shared. It's just not sharing through somebody else. So now Apple can control the data. And then what do they do with it? They'll sell access to it to other people eventually because they understand that the value, the long-term value of them is in the data. This is why Facebook and them are in this huge fight because Facebook controlled the data for a long time. And now they've realized that actually the device controls the data, not the app. If we control the device, we control the data. That's right. In a recent episode, I talked about Apple versus Facebook and how they were bad with each other and I equated it to Godzilla versus Mothra and you know that old 70s it's two beasts yeah. that are both evil monsters <laughs> fighting against each other and I just sat back and ate popcorn and watched um, oh you brought up so many huge topics <laughs> so many huge things um, the oh where do I even begin yeah that's and this <laughs> is what bothers me is that when you and I were in high school and college right your device was yours Okay, maybe Microsoft provided the software so that you could get your work done, but your device belonged to you. Nowadays, the device works against you. It's something you think you own, but it's actually meant to control you, and it's remote controlled, and it's meant to surveil you. And that's why I'm a huge proponent of Mint. I I recommend Mint computers as opposed to Windows or Mac because it's yours forever. No one does any spying. And there's there's an internet meme where it has all the brands as different cartoons. And it says, oh, you're spying? You're spying? And and, and Mint says, wait a minute, you guys are spying? And and everyone (laughs) else is. But it's... uh, I refuse to use a device that spies on me. You know, even when I'm on a Windows machine, I turn off the telemetry, turn off all the spying. Um, and you're absolutely right about the, the usability um, and, and the convenience of it, right? And, and you know what I don't like is, you know, we went to school with a lot of jerks, a lot of engineers, and they were, well, what's the matter with you? What do you, you need this technology to move forward. What do you got something to hide that you don't want the, the app about passports, right? And, and they're so black and white. And what you and yeah. I, I think, you and I are free thinkers and realize, hey, maybe we can figure out a way to move forward where you can have some convenience without all the extreme uh, um, data privacy breaches and the extreme imposition on your privacy. Does that make sense? It, it does. And I, I think, you know, th- there's a there's an opening right now uh, for someone who has the audacity to do it and 
uh, probably the money and uh, mostly just to buy security for themselves, <laughs> I would say. But, you know, there, there's an opportunity right now to create a space in which you you are not uh, you're saying, look, we offer all the convenience, none of the surveillance, none of the spying, none of that stuff. Um, but the, the catch with it has to be and this is this is where uh, whatever that might be, we'll lose. And this is why um, what's winning is winning is that it has to be convenient. People don't like, most people don't like technology. They don't want to, they don't want to deal with it. Right. And look, I totally get the engineer's point of view, right? Like, this is great. Like, don't get me wrong. Like all the things that we have now, it's amazing what we can do. And it's so cool to see that this is, this is happening. It's also scary if you understand how it can be used. Right. But if there was someone out there saying, look, we're going to do all these things, but we're not going to use it this way, um, which, you know, always requires a level of trust. Uh, it's great. The problem with that is that it's very difficult to achieve that effectively and invariably, um, you know, governments will step in and say, well, we want this ability because, you know, safety over, you know, uh, the safety and security of this over privacy is more important. Um, but, you know, I, I think, again, I think the, the coming generation is going to learn to develop ways to manage that and balance it. And it might simply be as much as just, hey, be aware, right? Understand, you know, what is happening with your data and how. And I think that's a great starting point, if nothing else, right? It's just to say, Hey, yeah, we have your data. Yes, we're using it. Here's how we're using it. If you don't want us to do this thing or, you know, uh, and I think that's fine. And that's another thing. Actually, that's funny. Uh, I liked in the, the Fitbit article that you read, if you if you read it carefully, right, um, essentially what they're saying without saying it is we're going to use all your data for all the things that we're going to anyways. You'll have control over your data. But but what they don't say is, but by default, we'll use it however the heck we want unless you tell us otherwise. And um, at least there's a way to opt out. And that's how I've made my money in recent years is exposing this stuff and then teaching people how to opt out of this stuff. Um, yeah. and, and absolutely. And then the but other- of course, they won't, they won't give you that ahead of time, right? They'll give that to you option after, after they've collected your data and transferred it all over. And then you can say, okay, at this point, I don't want going forward. That's another thing they don't tell you either. It's like, hey, what about all my existing data? Can I prevent my existing data from being shared? And the answer is probably not. Well, in, in the- Because by the time this is announced, they already have it. Right. And in the Google history scandal, um, one of the things I do for people, I discovered, I don't know how, but I stumbled upon this years ago, that if you have a Gmail account, Google records every last website you ever go to. So I flip the switch, tell them not to do that anymore. And then I I show the client, hey, look, here's a list of everything you've done so far. And then I turn away and I let them read it and get shocked. And then I flush all of that (laughs) history, delete all of it. But yeah, it's it's that's what I do on this show is I explain alternatives, right? I, I inform people of what's going on. I explain alternatives. And you know what, Bob? In the case of email, right? If you don't want people spying, you can pony up $7 a month. It's not a big deal to find an alternative email provider that doesn't spy. So yeah, you're right. It's got to be convenient. And and yeah, hey, guess what, folks? You might have to pony up 7 bucks a month. So that's your other thing. But but that's what I'd love to do with my future is, is once I get out there and get my show out there and all that is I'd love to highlight alternative products like you're saying where it's all of the convenience and none of the spying. And I certainly hope I can do that. And I'm just starting to be able to do that now. Um, yeah, so thank you so much, Bob. I'm just thrilled. And and y'all don't know the half of it. This is the tip of the iceberg of, of Bob McIntosh. Y'all don't know how brilliant this guy is. So we should definitely have him back someday. Go number3dc.com to hire him for marketing. Thank you so much.
Thanks for being on. And for all of you listening, appreciate your time, as I said before.